Today is January 19th, 2021. Today is also Joey English's 30th birthday. And today is the last day a woman has never been vice president of the US. So thank you, Cleo um, Abram from Twitter for that point. <laughs> Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestokomaki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her uh, pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are signed Treaty 7, so, uh, September 22, 1877, they were signed. With signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony, uh, the Stony Nations, and the Dene from the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on the Red Road journey. Uh, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born here in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Robinson or Michelle Elliott, an English name, which has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act in my Indian Act and Post status card from the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, which was named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. You know, I say that in my podcast, but today we're really going to be addressing and unpacking a bit of that. So stay tuned. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down the red road. Because apparently my issues, life and content are triggering. <laughs> if you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, for immediate emotional assistance, call 1-844-413-6649. This is a national toll-free 24-7 crisis line providing support for anyone who requires emotional assistance relating to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area and usually a functioning 211. You can also try a 24-7 toll-free line at 1-833-456-4566. So um, I, I find it funny because my podcast is classified 18 plus because I talk about all of these issues. Yet, funny enough, the governments don't see my issues as important enough. So just going to throw that out there. Um, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching you and you can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe. So go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts or go to the pin posts on social media. So I have a lot of feistiness in me today and I have a lot of feistiness in me because 
I'm sure if you pay attention, you'll have noticed my last podcast was January 3rd. That was the day before my birthday, coincidentally. So now you are looking at a 44-year-old talking about these issues. Um, but a lot has happened, obviously, in that time. Um, basically, an attempted siege of Capitol Hill happened by a bunch of hillbilly rednecks with guns. They killed a cop. My God, could you imagine? Um, there was a police officer that died here on um, uh, New Year's, so I don't mean to make light of that. And I, I um, know that the folks that had killed that man is going to be tried on first-degree murder charges. So um, it'll be really interesting. I've I, uh, been watching, following that, and oh, I'm just so angry because, you know, if that was Indigenous, if that was Black Lives Matter, you would have so much, you know, um, deaths charges there'd be federal charges all our people would be in jail if they did live um if they weren't trapped trampled and you know beat by cops and murdered with with uh, rifles but no they were white people and white people don't have the same treatment that uh you know people of color have that is the bottom line i will never pull that punch that is why i have this podcast because our people are dying you heard me at the start i i acknowledge today was the 30th birthday of uh joey english and you know she should be 30 today but she's not she's one of our missing and murdered indigenous women if you are to google um you know calgary and joey english you'll get to read an awful story about somebody who was dismembered that was the term media attached to this beautiful woman this mother I, I've met her kids. I've been watching them grow. <sighs> they never charged the man that they know who killed her, who dismembered her, because uh, they couldn't prove it. You know, there conveniently is never enough evidence when Indigenous are victims of crime. And in the issue of the Capitol Hill, here we have all the evidence. They live streamed their atrocities, their treason against the country. And, you know, you're not seeing the federal charges that other people would be indicted for 100%. And this Trump, he's an idiot. I'm so grateful that today is his last day of presidency. Holy Jesus, we talk about undermining democracy. These stupid yahoos, whether they're in here in Alberta or whether they're down in the States, they actually let the Soviets win in their mind with their social media, with their, you know, propaganda. They fell for it hook, line and sinker. Literally, this is like watching Germany in like the 1920s. And the worst part is, is that everybody's talking about how you know, once you have a failed coup 10 years later, that was when Hitler took power. How much do you want to bet between Alberta, Canada, these stupid conservatives who go down to Concamp in the States and listen to the stupid dribble from these stupid Trumpians? How much do you want to bet in 10 years our democracy will completely fail if, if it even makes it that long? I was on the Edmonton Police Services uh, comment page. And they just allow Islamophobia. They allow anti-Indigenous sentiment to just go wild. It's perfectly acceptable to be racist. And they let it. And this is why I talk about how all police not just need anti-racism, anti-oppression training, but their media needs it. There are calls to action in the TRC, in the MMIW National Inquiry Report, I physically watched the Calgary Police Service missing units get a copy of it. The fact that their media, their social media still is putting out that crap and they are not taking down, you know, hateful comments just shows how pointless and useless their so-called training is. They can shoot and kill me, my daughter, not think twice about it, get a hero's welcome. But do you think for a second they could take and identify a hateful comment and take it off? No. And this is what has led to the siege of Capitol Hill in the, in the States. And you people listening need to understand all democracies are this fragile. 
I thought we all went to the same goddamn schools and learned about Hitler and learned how to identify propaganda, learned how to um, look at evidence, and we're not seeing that. I don't understand what gives you the right to think for a second you can overthrow your democracy. It has led to Justin Trudeau, our prime minister here in Canada, having an attempt from some Yahoo conservative idiot wingnut with weapons going into his residence. He crashing the gate. Well, I do not understand how that man lived. Oh, yes, I do. He, he looked was white passing. So of course I know how he got that. That if that would have been me, if that would have been someone black, that man would have been dead as a doornail and y'all would have applauded. I'm so sick of the hypocrisy in this goddamn country in the states. I don't understand how we are letting our friends and family like our my family literally on my dad's side went to the war to fight Nazis. I have people in my own family who have said the words, well, Hitler wasn't that bad. I have had people in my own family applaud Trump. We're in big trouble, folks. I mean, I'm no history major, but I knew enough. I was taught enough about civics, about democracy. Ah, people. So I'm a little pissed off. So back to racism and education. Let's go back there. So, um, I asked everyone on January 3rd for my birthday, January 4th, would you please wear your ribbon skirt day? Not for me, but before little Bella in Saskatchewan, because her teacher thought it was appropriate somehow to tell her that her ribbon skirt is not formal. It's not formal enough for formal day. And unless you, your parents went and spent $200 on a stupid satin dress that has bows and pretty, Somehow what she was wearing wasn't formal enough. Now, it's been quite some time. It's been a couple of weeks. And I tell you, there's a, a Facebook group on, on Facebook. Sorry, kind of redundant there. Who's the idiot now? And in this Facebook group, we have Indigenous posting all the pictures of little girls. Not even little girls. Two-Spirit as well. Lots of folks who identify on the spectrum putting on their ribbon skirts and posting pictures of like strength and integrity. I just, I, I can't even tell you how great these pictures are. Lots of moms and aunties dressing up the babies in the cutest little ribbon skirts, but not the pictures. Seen a few men put up uh, some pictures with their uh, ribbon shirts on. So that, that was wonderful to see. Um, all in support of this young girl who was told what she was told. Guess that reconciliation training is going really well in Saskatchewan. And I'd like to, you know, give you all shade over there, but I'm in Alberta. Things are just as bad here, trust me. So to my city of Calgary, Calgary Board of Education is the public school system here. They have a school called Langevin School. Who is Langevin? That would be the architect of Indian Residential School. The prime minister had a block in Ottawa that was called Langevin Block. He changed the name. Here in Calgary, we had a bridge called Langevin Bridge. They changed the name finally to Re Reconciliation Bridge. And I have a nice little TikTok making fun of the fact it's one way. I'm not taking that down. But we still have a so-called science school um, in Bridgeland that's called Langevin School. You know, two years ago, a bunch of youth sent a bunch of letters to the CBE. And I don't understand for a second how folks didn't do something then. Put forward a renaming policy. I have no idea how that wasn't done. So a while ago, as you all know, I bitch a lot on the social medias. And I was bitching about this Langevin school. And I had been approached by one of the parents who said, oh, well, actually, my family's been trying to get that name changed, but we hit so many barriers, we, we didn't know where to go and kind of stopped. So I sat down and talked to them and it turned out they were concerned that they were speaking for Indigenous people. 
And I would argue that in this case, they were doing the good thing and doing the good work, but they, they did need uh, some support. So, um, you know, I've been collecting letters from Indigenous folks in the city here, you know, asking them why you would support a Langevin school name change. And they've been sending in their letters. So if you're in the Calgary area, uh, send me your letter. My daughter has expressed interest in being a marine biologist. I find it hysterical. We're going to talk about STEM, like Indigenous STEM, when the only science school in Calgary is Langevin, the architect of Indian Residential School. This is low-hanging fruit, a win for everybody by changing this name. Now, one of the uh, wonderful volunteers that I had in my campaign and who has been a long-standing member of my book club and uh, point blank, she just had a root canal and I'm praying for her there. So I'm sure she's in a lot of pain today. I'm thinking about you. Um, anyway, she started using the terminology that you would hear when talking about, say, the Washington Football Club, the Edmonton Football Club, and she started applying that same sort of language. And rather than calling it Langevin School, <laughs> she started calling it the Science School in Bridgeland. What a great alternative, rather than, you know, naming and honoring an Indian residential school architect. So really appreciate her. There's been some really wonderful settlers stepping up, writing letters. Um, I want to name you all, but I, I know I don't have permission to name you all, but I am grateful. I am grateful to see settlers stepping up on this. And uh, settlers, you need to know in nine months is an election municipally, and this is all across Alberta. So if we don't get progressive candidates in these you know, school trustees positions, if we don't get them in councils and may as mayors. Um, I know the conservatives are organizing and they are trying to get their conservative agenda on the table so that they can continue with their conservative politics of denial of the genocide that indigenous are ongoingly under and have had to survive up to now. So I'm begging you, if you are a progressive person you know, if you, you know, I, I think you underestimate you should run, number one. And I would talk to you about that. There is a group called Conservative Albertans, and they're trying to create, you know, our, our conservative, sorry, Progressive Albertans, and they're trying to create Progressive Sylvan Lake, Progressive Red Deer, Progressive wherever. So Calgary Progressives, we have that here. And the concept is we want to get people to run in these positions, whether it's school trustee, whether it's counselor or whether it's mayor, mayoral, you know, all of these positions are coming up. You have nine months to run these campaigns. We want to go. All of us poly geeks are all excited about it. I'm excited for LJ in Ward 10. You know, uh, this was my ward. This was the one I ran. And uh, my former counselor who is running for Ward 10, he blocked me on Twitter. So for calling him out on voting against an MMIW motion. And it was funny because like everyone remembers me being mad as hell when this happened. I mean, I bet you I could probably even look through my podcasts and find the episode that he did this. So I sent him some screenshots because he called me a liar. So I sent him some screenshots in which he blocked me. That's what accountability in Calgary looks like for our conservative counselors or conservative, uh, you know, candidates. So beyond disgusted, you know, I, I had, I actually supported him for his mayoral run last time. I had a sign of his on my lawn along with Nenshi's. And um, yeah, I think I'm going to go find his campaign sign and go throw it on his lawn because he's, I know where he lives. Um, yeah, I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed. So I'm going to do everything I can in my power to promote LJ. She's a Black Lives Matter activist. I hope to have her on my podcast uh, when she has some time, uh, you know, trying to get her signatures and such. So if you go onto her social medias, uh, please like and promote her. If you live in Alberta, if you live in Calgary, you know, you have some work to do. So I'm a big believer in, of course, you have to vote. That's number one. But then you also have to endorse people. What does endorsing mean? 
Sometimes that just means retweeting them, retweeting a good message. Sometimes that means, you know, saying, oh, I'm Michelle Robinson. I am a host of Native, uh, Native Calgarian and I endorse this candidate. It may not mean much to uh, those stupid conservatives who will block you, but it might mean a lot to the people who know they're trying with reconciliation. They're trying to be good settlers. Um, it will mean something to them. You know, LJ's done her own work with the uh, Black Lives Matter work. This is an amazing person. I hope you check them out. So, I, you know, those are things I want to throw out there. Um, in the last few weeks, I mean, my entire political career has been microaggressions and racism from political parties, specifically, you know, other progressive candidates, progressive elected uh, folks, like racism is so gross and it's so pervasive. And, it, you know, there's small microaggressions to outright racism. And uh, this past Saturday, I had a meeting and we actually had one of the major organizers here in Alberta say, well, sometimes you just have to take off your activist hat in order to succeed in politics. And I thought, you fucking bitch. I don't get to take off my skin. I don't get to take off my Indian Act and Post status card. I don't get to do that. I don't get to take off oppression. How nice of you to think and say that. It just shows that to some people of privilege, they see politics in this light. <coughs> Pardon me. They see politics in this light of choice. You know, their families uh, were able to afford to get them to go to, you know, university and get a poli sci degree. So, of course, they like to campaign now. Could you imagine that much privilege that you're not surviving a fucking genocide because people don't understand what is happening here in Canada? It's so pathetic. And I, I can't tell, you know, so-called progressives, just white people in general, if you are in politics and you absolutely have the audacity to say to my face, why don't we have more Indigenous candidates? Why don't we have more Indigenous folks wanting to be on our boards? You have no concept of the oppression. Zero. Zilch. I know when you say these things to me, you have no Indigenous training whatsoever. I know this. Ugh. Anyway, so yeah, I'm a little, sp a little, little spicy today. So with Langevin School, we're hoping that we're going to see um, uh, something called the uh, CBE Cares Committee come out with a report. And that is about 40 folks on a basically an anti-racism committee. They're coming out with a report. And between the work that our Langevin uh, school name change and their work, I'm hoping the time will be set between this elections that we can get this name changed. Like it, we I cannot send my daughter who wants to be a marine biologist to Langevin school. Um, now that said, there's a little more to it. Uh, we have something called lotto schools here in Calgary, which means that just because you want to go to science school doesn't mean you get to go to science school. You have to put your name in a lotto and you have to get picked and you and lots of kids don't even get to go to the schools they want to go to. It's not to say they're denied public education. They just don't necessarily get the school of their choice. So unless you are a conservative and have a ton of money and can put your kids in private school. Anyway, okay. So let's move on. Um, I had my book club on Monday for uh, Truth and Reconciliation Calls to Action 77 and 78. Those are the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation conversation. I started recording it, but then I blew it. Uh, one of my favorite settlers who's been a part of my book club, who's a part of the Langevin School Committee, um, her and I started name dropping someone we should not name dropped. And I'm like, ah, I'm just turning this off. So we did. So I'm not uploading that book club, but obviously this one is, you know, please Google it. Please look into it. Um, if you have questions about book clubs, actually, I'm just going to go into this. We had a newer uh, member who really, you know, is Indigenous even and didn't, she's totally new to what TRC is and, and all of this work. So basically, um, I, I guided her through some basics that I, I forget 
I forget at times. So if you're newer to my podcast, this probably is more for you too. If you go and you Google trc.ca, you'll see the Truth and Reconciliation Commission website. They actually have like, you know, a few blue links and they'll say on there, uh, reconciliation, the legacy, part one, part two, all of these things. Well, those are actually the books. So the books, um, so if you're on my YouTube, you can see my um, book that I'm holding. This is just one volume, volume five, and that's free, open to the public. It's been open to the public for six years. So uh, between volume five, volume six, we were uh, discussing um, TRC 77 to 78. You know, um, one of my favorite books is actually this um, final report summary book. It's like a quick reference. You can see I've beat the crap out of it, bookmarked it, all sorts of things. Every Canadian should have one of those. If you go onto the National um, Center for Truth and Reconciliation Commission, you can actually buy these tiny little ones. Um, and they have the 94 calls to action. And then in the back, they have the United Nation Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Those two documents are what we really should be guiding us when it comes to policy development at any level. Um, the National Inquiry for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. I have two of the books here. There's a volume A and B, and they're both available and um, open to the public. So you can just download them or read them depending on what kind of medium you have. So, you know, I'm telling you this because I just list them off all the time. These are the books that I encourage every Canadian to know. And the reason why I do that is because if it wasn't for my family uh, surviving Indian residential school, I wouldn't even be here. I want to honor all of these conversations about reconciliation actually need to be centered, not just around Indigenous, but specifically the Indian residential school survivors. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, when it comes to missing and murdered Indigenous women, always that conversation centered around the families, always really important to know. Um, and then when it comes to Indigenous knowledge, there's, <clears throat> I was taught this actually by Josie Nipponek, and she taught me about OCAP, and OCAP is Ownership, Control, Access, and um, Possession of Data. And those are principles that the uh, um, First Nation Information Governance Center gives out. Anyone can take that training. If you're Native, you get it for free. But if you're non-native, you have to pay. So I follow them. They're like highest on my notifications, uh, along with like First Peoples Law. These are really important um, websites to me. Yellowhead Institute, incredible group of people who are really critical. Um, you know, I'm unfortunately, I'm, I've drank the red Kool-Aid. I am a liberal. I'm part of the Indigenous Peoples Commission. I try to be as objective as I can about and being critical of our own policies. I, I've always believed liberals can be critical of their own party, unlike the conservatives and the NDP. Um, but I'm sure the NDP and the conservatives would disagree with me. Anyway, I'm getting off point. Point is, Indigenous people need a place to keep government accountable. And Yellowhead Institute is such a great resource for folks. I can't emphasize them enough. So um, with that, those are the like basic resources you need. And I, I also want to honor the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. That report was put out in 1996 and they, um, you know, their recommendations weren't implemented either. And, you know, when the 20 year anniversary came and passed, that really broke my heart because that was a year after the TRC. And I don't want the same thing to happen when it comes to the 94 calls to action. In fact, the um, Royal Commission well, I guess uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commissioners said they tried to take the 444 recommendations in the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. Uh, we call it RCAP. So if you start hearing me say RCAP or TRC, I'm talking about those two reports, the one in 96 and the one in 2015. And um, the one in 2015, the TRC, they did not want the what happened to their recommendations to happen to what happened with our cap in 1996 great work amazing due diligence on both and so they they said recommendations they collect dust on a shelf 
So that's why they called them calls to action. And they took the four, well, they, they looked at the 444 on RCAP and said, okay, well, how do we encapsulate this into smaller calls to action so that they'll just get done? So, you know, I have, um, I feel my, my granny, she's still living, but one of my uncles isn't who went to Indian residential school. He passed. And I have an auntie and an uncle that I have still survived that. Um, the rest of my aunties and uncles and my mom went to an, uh, a Catholic school in Yellowknife. I would argue still awful, but not as obviously as awful as what my family experienced at uh, Sacred Heart. So in, in Fort Providence. So anyway, I have this obligation. I have an obligation to myself to heal me as best as I can. I have an obligation to educate myself so that my daughter doesn't have to go through these things as well. Right. And, and if I'm pushing and leading folks in the direction of calls to action and calls to justice from the national inquiry report, my hope is we will, you know, keep moving, do something positive. Um, this isn't a fad. Um, I recently heard somebody of who doesn't have any concept of their power and privilege in a position of power think that this is a fad. It's not. And I also want to say that, you know, the fact that you think you grow growing up in the Northeast makes you not racist, shows you how racist you are. You need anti-oppression training immediately. And I hope you don't get reelected. And I won't name you, but I know you know who, I, who you are. Um, so another thing that's big right now is uh, Alberta... <laughs> Alberta's talking about coal mines. So I'm really proud to be an Alberta liberal at a provincial level. And why is that? Because Dr. David Swan, um, he actually left a family practice in order to become a politician because he was seeing the effects, the health effects in children of asthma and allergy that he directly attributed to coal mining. He knew climate change was going to continually and uh, harmfully affect our environment and our health. And he, as a family physician, felt that, you know, you can't not know this and not do something. So he became an elected official. He became an MLA for a long time, uh, well-respected in activist communities. Um, he regularly introduced me to some wonderful folks, whether it was like Friends of Medicare, um, just amazing people in the city of Calgary that made me realize that there are liberals in Calgary, contrary to what the conservatives want to believe. And I know that they're frightened and that's why they're always um, organizing so hard now because they know us liberals have had enough. Well, those of us who have actually been born and raised in this area, as opposed to these transplanted folks from out East who think that they can bring their stupid conservative values and propaganda here to Calgary. Um, it's funny when I grew up, I identified as conservative. I um, you know, just felt that uh, Peter Lougheed, those types of conservatives carried themselves with grace. Uh, they were true statespeople, I felt at the time. Um, but obviously when Harper and his cronies got into power and went to con camp in the States, they just wrecked our whole democracy. They took the progressive out of uh, progressive conservative. And anyway, um, obviously, in my political journey, <laughs> coming out as a liberal was bad enough. Anyway, trying to get off topic here. Uh, so Dr. Kevin Taff, he was the leader of the Alberta Liberals in the Klein era. He, he's written some wonderful books. If you want to know the history of, of Alberta through a progressive lens, I, I dare you to Google all of Do uh, Dr. Kevin Taff's books and download them or buy them, purchase them all and read them. His most recent one, which would have been around the time of TRC, so maybe 2015-ish, um, it was about how, whether or not we like it here in Alberta, globally, there were policy changes globally that were eliminating fossil fuels. Because he's an Albertan, he cared about Alberta. He wrote a book to try to warn folks that we need to start changing our policies towards that. So that's why 
you know, um, the green economy uh, that, um, not Ignatieff, um, Stefan Dion had put forward, a lot of youth uh, were, was a, we were all attracted to the Liberal Party for that kind of green lens. And, um, and it was even better than the green parties at the time, I would argue, in 2011. And I actually had a friend who was an engineer kind of confirm that with those types of words. And uh, anyway, you know, I came out in Alberta as a liberal. I marched in pride parades under the liberal banner at first. And then, um, you know, as time came to be and, you know, 10 years later, things have changed, obviously. And I, you know, I'm proud to march in pride with all the Indigenous youth who identifies gay, lesbian. Uh, but I'm an annoying straight cis mom. So, you know, um, that's that's where... I'm supposed to back up and be a better ally, right? Um, anyway, getting totally off topic, back to coal mines. So that's how I became a liberal, um, seeing that the Liberal Party here in Alberta seemed to really understand the dynamic of the fossil fuel industry kind of going out the window and the health effects and such. But obviously the Conservatives took you know, the, the families that were affected, that were coal miners and such, and, and ran on, the, we're going to reverse all of Rachel Notley's policies um, that David Swan basically gave to Rachel Notley. Sorry, NDP, that's the what happened. You know, we'll fight about that later on the campaign trail, I'm sure. But anyway, um, you know, Dr. Swan was really the leader in shutting down the coal industry here in Alberta for, you know, his grandkids' health. That's why he did it. So I have a lot of respect for Dr. Swan. So now we're here and the conservatives have decided to take and buy and sell a ton of Alberta's uh, beautiful mountains that they literally use as a drop uh, backdrop in all of their messaging is our beautiful mountains and they're going to mine them. They're going to rip them apart and mine them. That's what's happening in Alberta. So it's upset all the celebrities. So I don't know if you're all from Calgary, but if you're not, Core Blunt is a big deal here. Uh, we have some of his songs. I love his songs. We actually have a $5 bill signed by them. I went to one of his garage um, clearance like stuff and I have a bag of his. I'm like a total nerd. Uh, so he spoke out. Paul Brandt spoke out. Um, Katie Lang spoke out. Nobody's happy with uh, Premier right now selling off our mountains. And it's not even like a highest bidder thing. It's like under $70,000 just given away our resources. So obviously there's been a lot of talk on coal mines on the Twitter. So much so that there's a hashtag um, that I, I encourage you to follow. And it's like no coal AB. AB is the abbreviation for Alberta. But, you know, we've been watching this conversation evolve, you know, first watching, um, you know, Cor Blunt, then Paul Brunt, then Katie Lang speaking out on this issue. The Conservatives um, trying so hard to deflect this. <laughs> you can't. Like, nobody's happy with Conservatives. This is on the heels of uh, Aloha Gate, where... You know, they were all telling people, oh, stay home for COVID, but we're going to take off and go to Hawaii or Mexico. We even had uh, an NDP or federally go to, um, oh, where did Nikki Ashton go? It was Greece. She went to Greece. Um, I think there was two liberals who like stepped down and away from office over the issue. There was some really great things that came out of uh, Slave Lake, Slave Lake's MLA. Turns out works and lives in Texas. So he took off and went to Mexico uh, for Christmas because that, that's what you do. Now, somebody said he has a house in Red Deer, but that's still not the area he's supposed to be representing. So he was obviously parachuted from Kenny and then made to look like a fool. Anyway, um, apparently he's done a lot of business in Slave Lake, which of course makes him eligible to run and get elected as a UCP MLA. And I have called conservatives stupid over and over on this podcast. They're too dumb to look into it and know what this guy is about. They just voted for him because he's blue. Anyway, so back to 
no coal AB. So I actually got a question on my um, Facebook page. Oh, I was so annoyed but and mad and not because the question was asked, but because it's a legitimate question that deserves a legitimate answer. So let's give you some background. Um, so there's a wonderful Indigenous activist, a Blackfoot activist that's on Twitter. Uh, it was pulling teeth. He just came onto Facebook, but he's finally on Facebook too. So uh, Terrell Tailfeathers, kind of a legend. He has a huge following. Anyway, he um, he's on Twitter and he made such a great post. I had to uh, not just retweet it, but put I put it on my Facebook, took a screenshot, put it on my Facebook too. So he said, non-First Nations tweeting hashtag no poll AB without including hashtag land back are ignoring the rights of Indigenous people and upholding the colonial status quo. They are complicit. We see you. <coughs> Great um, point. Loved it. I couldn't agree more. So I said, you know, I quoted it. I'm done with political organizations and politicians not understanding that they are always centering themselves and not First Nations. And by centering themselves, they are being racist. They are ignoring treaty, their treaty obligations, most certainly in the opposite direction of reconciliation. So then I got the question. And so John Malcolm posted this on my Facebook page and I I was annoyed, but I knew it, it needs a, a, a proper answer in order for people to understand it. So he said, you know, I support both initiatives, meaning no, he said, I, I support both initiatives, you know, no land or no coal mines AB and land back. I'm not sure how they play into each other entirely. And it's not because I don't want to know. I'm happy to research and read, but I'm not sure where to start. I'm aware of land claims specifically, but I wouldn't know how to tie these two issues together. I'm commenting on the coal mining issue because I know about it and I don't want it to adversely affect land belongings to anyone or no one or drinking water or wildlife, etc. So I guess I'm asking if you could please point me in the right direction to find out more so I can help raise awareness. Uh, thank you, he says. So John Malcolm, he posted that and it was liked by Shauna Weaver. And, you know, I... Uh, I want to be um, honest with you all is that uh, this is why the land acknowledgement that I do in the podcast, but in my, my as I carry myself in my professional life and in life in general, the land acknowledgement is so important. And the land acknowledgement is really understanding the land you're on. If you don't understand it, I do. Um, it's, a, it's about 45 minute presentation on land. And then, you know, I usually have a room full of people and we discuss what they learned, what they have questions on and kind of go through it together so that that way there's not a misunderstanding. So I don't want, really want people to go away from my podcast, go away from my book club, go away from um, a, a seminar I've had and have, you know, legitimate questions and then feel afraid to ask. Now, usually I give people, you know, my email my phone number and I encourage them to ask later because sometimes you don't want to ask in a group or also and you all know you know you're two o'clock in the morning and you should be sleeping and your brain's going well what about Michelle's land acknowledgement when she said this and then you have a new question so I always give my contact information in the hopes that people will contact me later with those questions that they have so um um so that's what I, I'm saying that because I I want to encourage people who are listening um to ask these questions. Um, I, we all do, you may not know it, but we all actually have a spiritual covenant to treaty. All of us do. Now the government signed on non-Indigenous behalf, but as an Indigenous person, I have that um, contract that goes back generations and we will have this contract until we just determine that it's null and void for whatever reason. Um, the irony is that the treaties is what gives Canada the rights to exist. So when Albertans talk about um, leaving Alberta, all the First Nations, like I've been following all the conversations because there's a piece of me that's like, hey, you guys should probably leave, hey, knowing that the land defaults back to First Nations. So they so dumb. But, 
you know, conservatives, they don't educate themselves on anything, right? And they think as long as they have a gun, they're fine. And, you know, when you see an example of like, an example of like the Gerald Stanley case, where, you know, he shot and killed Colton Bushy, yeah, you might think, yeah, well, maybe he has something there. But actually, you don't. That's actually murder. And I hope that his uh, spiritual conscious, you know, allows him to burn him in hell for what he did. Um, regardless, our courts decided what they did because they're colonial courts. So let's go back to what John and Shauna are thinking about, asking about, and probably a lot of you are out there asking. And I want to be mad at John and Shauna for a million reasons, but I can't. I'm Native. I uh, didn't understand the gravity of treaty until recently in my life. So I can't be mad at you, John. Can't be mad at you, Shauna. Can't be mad at anybody who has these questions. Can't be mad at Indigenous who don't understand because the Alberta government kept me ignorant on purpose and they're trying to keep the next generation ignorant on purpose and they're trying to silence me because they don't want you to know what I'm going to tell you. As much as, um, you know, people think they understand about Indigenous issues, this is my point of view. I don't speak for all Indigenous and I welcome Indigenous to come in into this conversation. Prior to walking down the Red Road, I considered myself, uh, you know, Calgarian, Albertan, a Canadian, and First Nation. Um, now that I've walked down the Red Road, I consider myself Dene first, Canadian second. And I understand now why Indigenous don't vote in a system that isn't meant for them, wasn't designed for them. And some could even argue goes against treaty. I, I wouldn't, but uh, some people could, and I would try to make that argument if um, in a given space. We have a spiritual obligation to treaty because it was done in ceremony. Um, Non-Indigenous don't realize it, but you actually have a spiritual covenant to the treaty as well. The Canadian government did it on your behalf. Now, because they don't understand that, you don't understand that. Because they don't want to teach that in schools, you don't understand that. I was a drafter for wells and pipelines in the land survey industry in geomatics. They don't teach that in geomatics. So... You know, at a certain point when I understood treaty is a spiritual covenant, like that there's a bigger picture there that I have to respect and understand. I have to respect the ancestors of Treaty 7, that this is their land. I have to respect my ancestors in Treaty 11, that this that's my land. And those land rights under treaty were supposed to be about equality. I know it's really hard as Canadians to understand this, but your legal system, your governance system, your naming system of everything, that is your system. But that's not the law of the land. The treaties are. The treaties are the law of the land. Now, under treaty, I'm supposed to be treated equally, but I'm also supposed to treat you equally. And the hope is... One day you'll understand the gravity of that. This land wasn't meant for you to own. It was meant for you to share. That you were supposed to live your life and I was supposed to live my life equally, sharing the land. So if you look at our context today, what they did underhandedly, the Canadian government, was that they imposed the Indian Act. <clears throat> they invented the Northwest Mounted Police and the RCMP to pick up all the natives and put them into these small chunks of land called reserves. That's not what treaty is. Treaty is not little tiny reserves. Treaty 7 is basically all of Southern Alberta. So all of this, like there's no land in North America that's not native land. It's all native land. All of it. So we share that land with you. So your role as a treaty partner is to share that land with us. We don't agree to the exploitation of what gets done to the land. And even if we don't agree and you do it anyway, you should at the very, very bare minimum be sharing 50% of the, any profits that you get from them, which you don't. I, 
I would imagine how many angry farmers would be like, what do you mean I have to share half of my earnings? But I'll say this, farmers were sold land with little Indian graves under them. And today we have a whole book for TRC about missing children and unmarked graves. And today farmers are plowing over top of that thinking they own it. Two days south of Calgary, that land goes for a million dollars because rich ranchmen have stolen that land. There are graves that were exposed during the flood. Some of them um, moved, but not all of them. That land should be honored as sacred, but it's not. The farmer who um, owns it won't even let me pass on his land. We have Blackfoot. I called one of the counselors and he said his grandfather went to that. He went, went to that Indian residential school and he knows that even as a counselor, he can't go to that and see those lands. So when we talk about land back, right today under the Indian Act, 0.02% um, of the land of Canada is allocated as Indian reserve and that they don't under reserve under the Indian Act we can't own the land it's being held in trust under the Indian Act I'm a ward of the state I'm not a citizen of Canada so there's a real misunderstanding on education when it comes to this question and it's not that John doesn't want to know and it's not that Shauna doesn't want to know but if you you need to have a real understanding of what treaty is what your obligations are, what the Canadian government um, signed on your behalf. You have to understand that you think that, you know, paying a mortgage by the Bank of Canada is somehow gives you the right to land when actually it undermines treaty. Those are huge concepts. I, you know, treaty runs my life now. That's my governance is treaty first, natural law. Those are my governance now. Um, my ancestors wouldn't assign treaty without knowing natural law first. That's our law is natural law. So, you know, the Canadian government and their laws, I, when I was raised to believe that was the law, the letter of the law. But now I see that like third rung, maybe. <laughs> first natural law, you know, spiritual law, treaty then Canadian. And that's me honoring the Canadian part. And that's the part that a lot of Canadians know about, but they don't even know their own system. You, and I dare you all to go door knocking. Most people don't know the difference between school trustee, ward, or um, MLA, or MP jurisdiction. It's just reality. <clears throat> and that's your education system keeping you dumb so that when the next Trump or Hitler becomes, you know, in power, you're like, hoorah, yeah, let's grab our guns, totally defend our land, blah, blah, blah. Not only you look stupid, but you, you know, going against the intent of treaty, you're going, there's just a huge bigger picture here. So back to the coal mines, <laughs> coal mines are not something to be exploited, you know, um, if in a perfect world we lived equally, no oil and gas development, fossil fuels, coal would ever be done without not just, you know, informed and prior consent, but agreement, absolute agreement from the treaty chiefs. And the profits would be split. Like these billionaires, I don't know why you Canadians allow this to be, you know, like, I hear conservatives complaining about CERB. I mean, I don't understand how when you think of the billions of sub billions of dollars in subsidies given to corporations, you would complain for a second average Joe Canadians getting 2000 a month. Like I, I can't even comprehend like what your concept of econ yeah, um, economics and fiscal responsibility is. I mean, as a liberal, most of our platform is about fiscal responsibility based on evidence. And I swear, I, I don't know what kind of math y'all do. I have no idea. Anyway, so like, let's just go back to what he said. Um, 
he supports both initiatives. So land back is jurisdictional rights back to the, these lands, you know, understanding, um, you know, indigenous have rights to these lands too, all of the lands, you know, parks, ranchers, lands, all these lands are indigenous lands. We share, we grant, grant you as a guest, the chance to live here with the assumption that you're going to allow us to live the way we want to live and live equally. And you don't, you don't do that at all. We don't even get dollar to dollar funding on anything. So when it comes to land back, I mean, the very least 50% of the land. So we create new agreements where 50% of the land becomes indigenous lands again. You know, that's easy to do. Crown land is crown land. Well, why does the queen own it? Why isn't it our land? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And as the caretakers of these lands, you know, we know with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples globally, if Indigenous people had Indigenous-centered governance and allowed to continue to live the way they were meant to live before colonialism of these different European countries, we wouldn't be having climate change issues at all. So land back has many different meanings of understanding treaty and jurisdiction agreements. These are things that we do not have conversations as a society with. I hope what I said makes sense. Um, I can definitely encourage Arthur Manuel's books. There's two of them. I usually have them sitting here by the computer, but I don't. I share them all the time. Um, all the Wet'suwet'en share them on a regular basis. That, that's their territory that the pipelines are going through. Um, there's two local books about um, reconciliation from Joey Polubny. Um, a really great book that I love is Red Skin, White Mass, Rejecting the Colonial Politics of Recognition. That's a really great book. I mean, there's tons of books. To me, the concept of land back goes back to Idle No More. You know, Idle No More taking that jurisdiction back. Um, missing graves or unmarked burial sites through the TRC. I mean, I, I can't believe how many people don't recognize. Like the... Oh, interchange at Glenmore Trail and Deerfoot. That's on an industrial school. They had to move uh, White Goose Flying, Jack White Goose Flying to the Queen Cemetery. They did so under ceremony, but it, we have an Ikea and an, you know, shopping center over an industrial, well, an Indian residential school. Everybody's cool with that. And that's why there's always a piece of me when I see all the accidents on Deerfoot and Glenmore, I think. Mm. It's like you built over top of an Indian burial site. Oh yeah, you did. So, you know, we need to be honest about indigenous archaeology. We're not. And private ranchers should not own sacred sites today, which they do, all across Canada. And if you're not going to share the land that you're exploiting, the least you can do is give back 50% of it. So if I'm hoping this makes more sense about the whole land back and indigenous caretaking and why that's important for all of us, for the water, for climate change, but most importantly, indigenous sovereignty and jurisdiction. Ed honors the treaties actually. So I hope that explains that. Anyway, Thank you for listening to me. Send me your comments if you don't understand. You know, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and almost all of the podcasts leading up to recently about creating a safer space for Indigenous, people of color, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2 plus to speak. You know, I want to say thank you to authors Cheryl Ward, uh, Chelsea Branch, Alicia Frickin, of here to help.bc.ca, um, Indigenous peoples, and what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Those are tools that I have talked about over and over in this podcast. I'd love to see people actually do something with that knowledge 
start into implementing it. Um, I think we've seen a lot of that now with all of the hate crimes happening. Their work are the cultural tools that I have said over a hundred times in this podcast. So please support Indigenous work as you're part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just, you know, highlighting and repeating it here. There's something called internalized racism and lateral violence. And that's another form of Indigenous violence and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. So thanks to the Indian Act, Indian residential schools, land clearing policies, you know, um, we've created a really awful survival technique called um, lateral violence, and it is a form of self-hate. It was taught to us to hate ourselves through the mass media. Um, you know, I uh, experienced a lot of that over Christmas, and it was awful. So if you don't understand it, please Google it another resource for you. Um, RacialEquityTools.org by Donna Bevins, What is Internalized Racism? Really great uh, stuff. There's so many good books out there now too. So when you witness hate, what do you do? Well, there's a do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. And if you just have a look out there for bystander intervention on racial or oppression, you will see so many resources out there now. There's really no excuse to be ignorant anymore, folks. Indigenous have been talking about these issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls and Two-Spirit. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism and trauma in the educational health and justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. We are called out internationally almost daily, folks. Demand changes from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all par parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs. A really great article I said out loud is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. There's a link to that. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Help for Wellness, Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. For more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit, call for emotional assistance 1-844-413-6649. It's toll free, it's national, and it's a crisis line for anyone requiring emotional assistance relating to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls. Non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area and a functioning 211, or try calling 24 hours a day toll free, toll -free line one 833 Four five six, four five six six. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I have started this podcast to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions. As many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs. And by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people 
our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Just typical microaggressions. People dealing with internalized racism. Folks who are gatekeepers. Folks who live off the status quo. And people who are so in their trauma, they stop people from doing the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your examples. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family roots. Um, for stepping up and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and my support down my journey of the Red Road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of trying to discuss these present day issues in a way they can understand down the road. My patron account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. I have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. I also do uh, land acknowledgement training. So if you're still unclear, maybe spend the money for that. Um, and you can pick my brain for a hundred bucks, unless you're native, then it's free. And I want to end with some side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs>